Praise God. Certainly thank God for this testimonial opportunity to share my story. Amen. Years ago, I promised that if he ever delivered me, I'd tell it everywhere I go. Come on, I'll give Jesus a hand. Come on. Come on, give him a big, 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 big hand. Come on, don't patty cake him. Give him a big hand. Come on, we serve a good God, a great God. Come on, King of Kings. He's a Lord of Lords. Come on, there's nothing that he can't do. Don't tell me what God can't do. And so here I am. Um, certainly thank God for my friend, um, Pastor Simbler, for having me here. Carol, man, it's, it's, it's always a blessing to come here. So I, I feel at home when I come here. I feel like I'm amongst family. Amen. Very grateful. Um, certainly thank God for my better hold, my wife there, Tearson. Amen. Come on, I ain't say better half. Come on, I needed a whole one. Come on, the Bible say the two should become one. Come on, we try to do math how we do it. Half and half make one. No, two make one. Come on, you can say amen. 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 Certainly thank God for her. Oh, my, my bonus daughter there, Vicky. Look, let, let my family stand right now. Just stand. They're here. They come from... All over, they're coming from Texas, from Florida. Amen. Got a, got a cousin from the Bronx. Come on, come on, family stand. Amen. My, my father is here. Oh, man. Big Papa then showed up. You may be seated. Amen. So I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. I know y'all hear that. Y'all hear it. Y'all hear it. So let me give you a quick tutorial. Um, we talk different, very different. Um, so there's some things you may not understand. Just kind of fill in the blank as you go along. Don't get stuck there. Okay, we say some things different. Um, one of the things we um, say in this, we, 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 we call each other baby. I'm talking about this genderless, men, female. So don't be offended. Everybody is baby in New Orleans. So good morning, baby. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Anybody heard of New Orleans? You familiar with New Orleans? Amen. Anybody heard of Lafayette? Lafayette? We got a few people. Okay, all right, Vicky Lee. All right. But amen. Thank God for you being here. Man, let me jump right into it. So I come from New Orleans, Louisiana. I see my round there. Amen. From New Orleans. Anybody here from else from New Orleans? Okay, I see. Okay, I see two and a half. My sister hand up. All right, and so I come from a um, very poverty-stricken area where um, I can remember um, when we moved from out of the seven wall to the eight wall. Our our um, different locations or uh, districts are separated into wards, and I can remember when we moved into the eight wall. Very peaceful, very calm. I can remember standing on my porch feeding the birds. And something, something there was a great transition in, in the late 18, in the late 80s. And man, the crack epidemic came and completely destroyed our neighborhood. I'm talking, it, it destroyed it to the point to where the birds didn't even come out anymore. True story. And so with drugs comes a lot of violence. 
Where you find drugs, there's violence. And so I grew up in a very violent neighborhood where it was common to hear gunshot wounds and sirens and, and see people shot, see bodies lying in the street. Very common. And so, like any kid, you know, their greatest teacher is what they see rather than what they hear. And so during this time, there's another transition taking place. Um, my father, who, my hero, man, he was everything to me. Um, very gr- great relationship with him. He's making a transition to Florida, to Jacksonville, Florida, where he stays now. And it totally shook my world. And just for a moment, just allow me to parenthetically park right here. Um, I, I, I want to share this to my, to my father. I just had this family discussion with family. That's all right? Come on, stand up, Dad, just, just, just quickly. Man, I just want to tell you publicly that all that I went through, all that I did, it wasn't your fault. Come on. It wasn't your fault. You was a great father. You taught me great things. And I take full responsibility for what I had done. I made bad decisions. It wasn't your fault. And so today, publicly, I apologize to you for all the pain, all the disappointment that I caused you. And I ask you to forgive me. Amen. He said he forgive me. Amen, amen, praise God. And so here it is, my dad leaves and this, this 16-year-old, 15-year-old don't know how to digest that. So I felt abandoned. I felt like he just left me and I was angry, I was hurt. And so consequently, um, I, I, I turned to the streets. And so the streets began to fall to me. I began, began to learn the street language and the, and the game and, and all the things that came with it and how to survive. Because you had to survive in my neighborhood. You had to be the prayer, be prayed upon. Just that simple. And so at an early age, I started carrying a gun everywhere because there was violence everywhere. And so I went to I, I, the, the drug dealers. They began to attract me and. That's what I wanted to be. I saw the call with the rims and the, the sound and the gold chains and the gold teeth and say, okay, yeah, that's what I want. And I jumped off into that and very dangerous game. And so with that came on, um, there were a lot of other people who didn't sell drugs. They, their trade was robbing the drug dealers. And so they would rob drug dealers, kick those in, and, and that's how they made they living. And so... It, it was getting so out of hand till they was robbing so many people till they was forgetting who they robbed. And they'd end up till I'm pumping gas uh, in the store and they would get killed. And so instead of them finding them a, another trade, this this what they did. They made this transition. Okay, every drug dealer that we rob, we got to kill. And so you had to protect yourself. And so I go through this just transitioning to the streets and just, just doing my thing, what I thought was, was right. And so I had a whole different life at home. I was the little good son. I was, I was Ronnie, I was Ronald, but in the streets it was Ronnie Slim. And I'll make those transitions in and out. And consequently, I, I find myself 
in this altercation that left two people dead, one person dead, one badly wounded, he survived. It was, I, I never forget, it was a, a Christmas morning. I leave my house and I think I was going by my girlfriend's house and a car pulled up. I had a starter jacket on. Starter jackets was very dangerous. You, 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 you had to have a gun on if you, if you wore one of those jackets. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And, and so a car pulled. There was, there was four people in the car and it stopped. It was bagging up and I didn't have my gun on. I said, oh, this is not going to happen to me on Christmas Day. I guess my gun. So I ended up way in downtown New Orleans and on Canal Street. And I saw a guy that I had an altercation with. It was about six of them. And I was with two other guys, so he figured I was outnumbered. One thing led to another, and I left two people in the pool of blood. Not proud of that. Amen. But amen, that's, that's what happened. And so... I find myself 16 years old facing the death penalty. I went through the juveniles courts and they charged me as an adult. 16 years old facing the death penalty. And so I never forget, everything was a joke up up until the trial when the jury was deliberating. You know, I didn't take anything serious. I was very optimistic. I'm going home. This not going, you know, I'll be home next week, next week, you know. I mean, I know next week never came. And so here it is. I'm in the holding tank. It's about 12 a.m., 1 a.m. in the morning. Guards put me in the holding tank. They lock me in, leave me there by myself. Everything gets real. There are three walls around me and a cell in the front. And I begin to think there's 12 people about to make a decision on whether I live or die. And they don't know anything about me. I said, man, they can really kill me. In that moment, I can hear God, what I know is God, what I believe to be God speaking through my mother's voice. My mother told me, she was a praying woman, she, and she always told me, she said, but if you ever get in trouble that I can't get you out, you call on Jesus. Come on, how many thank God for a praying mama? Come on, just want to encourage you to keep praying for your kid, no matter how it looks. No matter what, just keep praying. Come on, tell somebody, say, keep praying, keep praying. And so there, I got on my knees in that cell, and I began to cry out to God. I was crying tears, and I said this prayer. A lot of people said, don't make deal with God. I made a deal with him. I said, Lord, if you don't let them kill me, I promise you I'll serve you the rest of my life. Come on, I'm here. He held up his end. Come on, I'm trying to hold up my end. And for the first time in my life, oh, I felt the peace of God. I didn't know what it was then. But I felt calm. I was calm. There was an assurance in me that said, you're going to be all right. Couldn't explain it. And so the jury comes back with a a guilty verdict of the response verdict, which was second-degree murder. Second-degree murder, which I didn't know, carried a mandatory life sentence without benefits of parole or probation. Let me translate that in in lamer terms. You die in prison. And so I'm like, wow. 
So I go on this journey from the jail, now entering the penitentiary, Louisiana State Penitentiary, better known as Angola. This place was labeled the bloodiest prison in the nation, the most violent prison. And you heard pastor talk about the average sinners, 99 years. When you go to Angola, you didn't come back. Come on, you didn't come home. And for years and decades of being there, you just didn't see people go home. Very seldom somebody will get a reversal or go back to court, get their, their, their sinners changed and go home. But in the midst of that, God sends me into that. I believe he was with me. And I couldn't figure out what was going on in me. I knew something happened to me in that cell, but I couldn't really figure it out because I still was doing some of the same things, still was talking the same way. Come on, just like a baby comes out of the womb in the natural, it looks like what it came out of. Come on, it don't come out looking like the little gerbil baby. Oh, you so cute. We be lying. <laughs> you know, that baby come out with all type of afterbirth. It has to be clean. It has to be fed. It has to be hell. And so I had no one to do that for me in the, in the spirit. And so when I get there, man, amazingly, God sends me around. He's orchestrating this whole thing. He sends me around people that's willing to help me and not hurt me. Come on, some of the greatest men of God I met was in prison. I'm talking about real men. I'm talking about pastors in prison. These pastors, they live with their members. Come on. Come on, out here you might see your pastors just on Sunday or here or there. But imagine that, living in a dormitory with your members, pastor. <laughs> and so you had to, you had to walk up right because we were so broken in prison, we needed something real to look at. Come on, you couldn't play. It, it's difficult to be a successful hypocrite in prison. <laughs> I promise you. You live in a glass yard. And so these men of God began to lead me and teach me and disciple me. And before you know it, man, I, I, I ended up in the Bible college. They had a Bible college there, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary where they had an extension center where they had professors that had come from the outside there, lecture you, you know, give you exams, just like a real college. And I went there for four years and got a bachelor's degree in Christian ministry. Come on, you can give God. Man, I, I, I was so excited about that because I had a habit of starting things and never finishing. But that broke that. I'm talking about everything I start, I'm going to finish. Come on, that's how God is. Amen. And so here it is, man. God launched me and doing things in me into men. So after Bible college, your job is to, to minister. You know, you, they, they place you in different areas of the prison. It was 18,000 acres. And your job was to do ministry. And even after you... You have an opportunity to become a missionary. A missionary in prison? Y'all serious? And so Angola was sending out missionaries to other prisons in Louisiana. So you have an opportunity to go to another prison and, 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 and um, assist chaplains and pastor churches. And so I went to a prison in, in Cottonport, Louisiana, man. 
And amazingly, um, I went there to assist the chaplain and help with ministry. All, they already had a, a church established, had all the ministers there. They had two choirs. They had deacons. They had ushers there. And so it was established. But the pastor of the church was, the day I came there, the pastor was leaving at 12.01. He was discharged. And so the chaplain introduced me to the congregation while we're sitting in the pulpit. He, we, we prayed for the pastor who left. And he said, he said I want to introduce y'all to y'all new pastor, Pastor Ron Olivier. <laughs> Man, you serious? And so I'm like, because they, they got a ministerial staff. They have a whole staff. And these people waiting in line, you know, they've been talking about who next. And I just get off the bus. I'm like, man, pastor. So I said, I ain't, I ain't make a scene. I said, I'm going to talk to the chaplain. Chaplain don't know what he, he, he tripping, you know. So I waited to get privately with him. I said, chap, look, man, I just come here to help, man. I just come here to help and assist the ministry, man. Look, he said, you come here to help? I said, yeah, yes, sir, man. I come here to help, man. Anything you need? He said, well, I need a pastor. You the pastor. Come on, one of the greatest things that happened to me to be pushed out in ministry there. It blessed me so much in leadership, man. Did some great things. Um, God did some great things. And so here it is. Um, we moving. So, so I'm, I'm there. I'm a pastor. And then later I end up going back to Angola. You know, you, you could stay there at least two years. I did about three and a half years. You know, since God making the transition, I go back to Angola. And two months later, I end up in a cell at Camp J. Camp J is the prison inside of the prison. Come on, it's the inner prison. It's, it's when you can't follow the rules, you know, in the population, you go to Camp J. I'm talking about you don't, just, just not for little mediocre little infractions for some things like aggravated fightings and you get caught with a weapon and a knife or something or drugs or drug trafficking. You go to Camp J. So I end up at Camp J for something I didn't have anything to do with. And I'm like, Lord, what's going on? Come on, I've been in ministry. I'm like, man, what's, man, Lord, where are you, man? What's, what's going on? And so I never forget it was in that cell. They put me in a cell, six by nine. Could you imagine that? I used to pace the floor like this and just pray. Only a few steps. Just pray. And while in that cell, man, come on, God used to come in there. Come on, there was another man in the cell. Can you say amen? He used to visit me. And in that cell, I began to realize this. That my life is not in the hands of the system. Come on, it's not in the hands of any man. It's in God's hands. God, you in control. If, 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 this, if this has happened and I'm here, God, you got a plan. Come on, you can say amen. Come on, I don't care where you are at, at in your life. Come on, he there and he can work it out. And so I'm in that cell Stayed there for 18 months, 23 hours a day. I only get one hour out the cell. But God was with me. Man. 
And I can remember in that cell praying and just worshiping. Guys used to come by and thought I was losing my mind, and I was. Come on, some of us need to lose our mind and get the mind of Christ. Amen. And God showed me that area as a mission field. And so everybody came on that tip. I had committed myself to preach the gospel to them. Come on, they was going to hear the gospel, whether they liked it or not, whether they received it or not. And through my stay there, several men was born again, and many was encouraged. Amen. And so I can remember praying, walking and praying, and I saw myself in New York. Look, I'm telling you, Paul, just a glimpse, and I got happy. Come on, I got a life sentence without benefits of, of parole or probation. Come on, everything says that I'm going to die in prison, but God showed me myself in New York City. Come on, y'all going to make me break out and run in here. Watch this here. A couple of days later, guess who show up at my cell? Pastor Simbler. I said, look out, here go confirmation. Amen. Hey, come on, this is about my what? Fifth or sixth time here. Come on, we serve an awesome God. Come on, he's gracious. He's so kind. And so here I am. I end up out of that situation, man, and it was the best, worst situation that could ever happen to me. I got closer to God. Hey, man, he did some great things in me. Come on, it's not, it's not as, import, as, as important to God what happens to you as opposed to what's happening in you. What's going on in you? Come on, he works from the inside out. That's how he works. And so here it is, man. 2012 comes. 2012 comes, and the United States Supreme Court comes down with a ruling in Miller versus Alabama that said it was unconstitutional to give a juvenile under the 18 a mandatory life sentence. <laughs> said it violated our, our constitutional rights of the Eighth Amendment of cruel and unusual punishment. It said that juveniles should have some type of meaningful opportunity to freedom because the frontal lobe of their brain is not fully developed. Come on, the frontal lobe is the part that helps you appreciate um, risk and consequence. That's why we do some crazy things when we, anybody in here? Did some crazy things when you was young. Amen. And so, man, and so now when they come down with that ruling, that makes my sinners illegal. And I have to be re -sinners. And so I go through this process of going, get re I never, I'll never forget. We, 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 um, if you know anything about New Orleans, um, one of the things we do, we second line for everything. There's a second line. It's a dance you do. There's a band that walk through the street. I'll never forget 2012 when that came. Now I was looking at CNN, waiting on it. They're ruling to come down. And we second line. And so here it is, the Louisiana, Louisiana Supreme Court came down with a ruling not long after that said it wasn't retroactive, which means it didn't go backwards from 2012. It started from that date, 2012, and forward. 
They just refused to do what the United States Supreme Court said. And so many was getting discouraged. Well, man, again, I knew, man, my life is not in the hand of the system. Come on, it's in God's hand. Come on, he up to something. He up to something. And so it affected like about 300 or something of us um, that was in prison in Angola. And I'd get those guys and encourage them, you know. And it was like, man, they got to go all the way to the United States Supreme Court. Man, you know how difficult it is, you know. And lawyers was telling us, man, it's going to be another five, six years before they hear that again. And, man, and, and three months later, <laughs> come on, they, they hear something. They accepted a case, George Toker, into the United States Supreme Court concerning retroactivity. Now watch this here. Look how shrewd the, the, the system was. This is what they do because George, I knew him, a friend of mine, he had been fighting an actual innocent case all his stay. He had been there like 34 years. He was there for killing his best friend. And his victims, the victim's mother got on the stand and said, look, them two were so inseparable. If George would have killed him, he would have killed himself. But they still convicted him. And so now, since his case is in the United States Supreme Court, that's going to affect thousands across the United States and those 300 right there in the state, the, the courts come to him with a deal to drop his charge down to manslaughter, which carries the mandatory, um, the maximum sentence was 21 years time served and he can go and so George come talk to me he he like man I want help man I don't want nobody to feel like I sold him out and man but this deal bro my mama's sick I said listen George I, I prayed with George and I said listen I said I want you to know this personally your life my life is not in your hands it's in God's hands and I said man you got to do what you got to do whatever you do so George takes the deal Leaves that pulls his case from the United States Supreme Court. Everybody want to kill George. <laughs> and so that, they're going to talk again, man. It's going to take six, seven years before a case. Three months later, another case come. Come on, look at God, man. This, this impossible situation. It gets in and is, and is ruled retroact, retroactive. And 2012, on November the 30, I walk out the gates of Angola. <laughs> Hallelujah. 2018. November 2018. Come on, the 30th this month will make five years that I've been home. Hey, Amen. I got a beautiful wife. Come on, I got a little son that's three years old. I couldn't bring him here. He would have tore all this up. He would we wasn't having that. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. And so, um, man, have a beautiful life, man. God is blessing me. I never forget, um, I, I, I think it was about my third time here, and I came to share my story. And afterwards, just, you know, which is common, a lot of people was coming up to me. They had a whole little crowd right here just to take pictures with me. I was praying for some, and there was this lady in the back of the shadows just waiting. She was just sitting in the back just waiting for everybody. And after everybody left, she came last, and, you know, security was trying to get me to, you know, the pastor's office. And, and, and she said this here. She said she came, man, with tears and eyes. She said, you have a very powerful story. 
He said, I was here the first time you shared it. She said, but I wouldn't have persisted. She said, man, your story is a book. She said, but um, I just recently, I think it was a week or two ago, she said, I just recently got promoted as the chief executive editor of Nelson Book Publishing Company. She said, you got to do a book. Watch this. She said, look, she said, look, I'm going to get with um, Pastor Simler's um, assistant and give her my information and, and, you, and you, get, you contact me. I said, yes, ma'am. Look, on the way up in the elevator to get to his office, I get a text, text from the assistant with all our information. I said, whoa, that happened fast. <laughs> but what she didn't know, watch this here. Watch this. Come on, stand up, Janet. That's all right there. Come on, we been... Look, she's been on it ever since, and it's, it's a reality now. Now, watch this here. Well, she didn't know that the day prior to that, the day before that Saturday when I flew in, I was in pastor's office, and I told pastor, I said, man, you got to help me, pastor. I need some help. He said, what? I said, I got a book in me. I got to get out. Come on, that was the day before. Come on, the next day. Come on, man, I couldn't make this story up this good. Come on, only God, man. Come on, don't tell me what God can't do. Come on, I don't, know, I don't care where you are at in your life. He can reach you right where you are. Come on, he knows what you need. And he knows how to get it to you. Hey, Amen. Well, I found out later that's not even how the book process goes. Come on, God, circum- he circumvented the whole process. Nobody but God. And so, man, I make a transition. Then I end up back in prison in Mississippi State Penitentiary as the director of chaplaincy. Watch this shit, man. It was hard. That was hard to come out of prison and go back in any form. Listen, I had to have a word from God. I knew I had to go. Amen. And when I got the call and heard it, I knew I had to go. But I'm like, man, how am I going to convince my wife to go to Mississippi? Man, I'm talking about we, we. And, and, and what she said was a miracle. When I told her about it, this is what she said. She said, you cannot not take this job. I said, Lord, in mercy. For her to say that? My wife is very, man, look, she's, uh, she's detailed. She got to have details about everything before she go or whatever. She, she hadn't even looked at Mississippi. And I'm glad she didn't. Because if she would have looked first, we would have never been there. <laughs> Amen. And so we went there, man, oh, man, did some great things there. God transitioned me from there in April. I'm, I'm now um, a, a client advocate for the parole, Louisiana Parole Project. We help people make a transition from prison. Come on, when I discharged, I went through that program. And now I'm full circle. We help them get jobs, housing, just help them get a real great start. Come on, we have served over 480 clients since 2016. And we have a less than 2% recidivism rate. Come on, that's awesome. That's some good numbers there. 
will translate that if you go through our program coming out of prison, it's more than likely that you'll never return. Amen. And so here we are, man, just living life. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying every moment of life. Watch this here. I didn't start enjoying life when I got home. I was enjoying it in prison. Come on, I know that sounds crazy. I realized this here, it, it, it doesn't matter about your geographical location. That's, that's irrelevant. What matters is who's in you. Come on, you can live and enjoy life to the fullness. Come on, wherever you are. Amen. And man, I can remember, man, so, so many things. I, I never forget. I, I'll get discouraged in prison. You know, sometimes um, doubt or try to connect itself to me. But I always run to the presence of God. Come on. Come on. If you don't get anything, I hope you get that today. Run to him. Don't run from him. Because that stuff can't stay in his presence. Come on. You get in his presence, that, it got to leave. It got to leave. And so, man, I will run in his presence. I, I never forget, man, I was, I, was, I was praying and I'm on my knees. I'm crying. I say, Lord, this can't be the end. I've been here since I was 16. This can't be it. What's going on? And he brought this to my memories. And I'm going to close here. He brought this to my memories. I could see myself waiting on my dad to come get me for the weekend. I used to spend the weekends with my dad, summers and, and some holidays. And this, this is a Friday. I come from school. I got my book bag on. I'm on the sofa. I got my little bag of clothes and I'm waiting on my daddy to come get me. And the sun is going down and I fell asleep and my mother came by. She woke me up. She said, she said, baby, won't you just go get in the bed? Your daddy, your daddy must not be coming. I said, um, he, he called and told you that? She said, no. I said, where he coming? Because my daddy had never said he was coming and didn't show up. Not one time. If he, didn't sh if he wasn't coming, he was going to say he wasn't coming. And he wasn't going to make it. And so, a couple of minutes later, there he go. He rang the doorbell. He come to the door. I jump in his arms. And I could hear the Spirit of God say this here. He said, if your earthly father, being evil, didn't forget you, come on, how much more than your heavenly father? Come on, daddy, come and get you. Come on, daddy, come and get you. Come on, I don't care where you at. Daddy, come and get you. Come on, I'm here today. Because daddy came and got me. Come on, you can give God a hand, clap, or praise. Come on, don't tell me what God can't do. Don't tell me what God can't do. Come on, nobody can't tell me what God can't do. Come on, I heard one of my professors say this here. He said, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Come on, I can't, I, I don't even waste time arguing with people about God and arguing with people about Scripture because I know. Come on, I give it to them and go, hey, you go ahead and do what you want with that. 
Amen. Man, I experienced them. Come on, I'm not talking about something I just read in a book. I'm talking about my life. Come on, 27 summers. If God, if God can do it for me, how much more he'll do it for you? God bless you. God keep you. Pray God could face continue to smile upon you. Come on, come on, come on. Give him a big, 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 big. Come on, somebody clap your hands, all you people. Shouting to God with a voice of triumph. Come on, hallelujah.